Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You know, and it's interesting that there is a tendency when there is a reprieve in trial or or a difficulty or even when there's a reprieve in judgment for people to revert back to their own wicked ways. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio Bible Study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today we begin in Chapter 4 of the Book of Judges. We learn that there is this continual drift to disobedience by the children of Israel, and it makes one less and less confident of man, but more and more impressed with the mercy and grace of God. Though Israel kept forsaking him, he kept working with them. God loved Israel too much to let them go their own way. There may be times when we wish God would leave us alone, yet we are ultimately thankful for his continued dealing with us, even when it isn't so comfortable. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Let's open our Bibles to Judges chapter 4. We're going to look at Judges chapter 4 and 5 this evening. Uh, The last time we were together in the book of Judges was the week before last, and we looked at chapter 3. And before we get in there, just to kind of recapitulate, if I can, to recap what has happened so far, uh, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt, and they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they come across, and you remember they were fighting battles and uh, gaining land that God had given them. And that took some time, at least seven years, maybe even more. And now that they've been settled in the land, and especially after Joshua had passed away, we we see the children of Israel kind of reverting back and, and sliding backward rather than going forward. In fact, the book of Judges is often called the book of failure, or could be called the book of failure, because of the the, the sin of the people and their lack of devotion to the Lord, and their lack of obedience. And so these things have happened. I would like to turn your attention to uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. This is uh, verse 7 through 11, because this really kind of sets the stage for the whole entire book of Judges. So in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So the people, the children of Israel, they served the Lord, they served Jehovah, all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now the son of 
Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, meaning they had died, when all that generation had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. The Baals were these false idols that the Canaanites had been worshiping for centuries, and that's precisely the reason why God brought them into the land of Canaan to destroy those idol-worshiping people who we had given many, many years to turn from their sin, but you know that they did not. And so I think that's one thing to remember in all of this is that when we looked at Joshua, and certainly as we look at Judges, this is not just Israelites against pagan nations and pagan peoples. This is a holy war. This is a war that God is having and his judgment against these nations that he has brought the children of Israel into. Remember that because it's not about the Jews against these other people. This is God using the Jewish people to accomplish his means and that is to judge that area and that's what he did. Remember back in Genesis 15 where it says that the the iniquity of the Amorites had not become full yet, and that's one of the reasons why the children of Israel were still in Egypt. God was preparing them, but he was also giving time and space for those seven nations in the land of Canaan to turn away from their sin, and they did not. And so God used them as his lightning rod, if you will, his hammer, to bring judgment upon those nations. And so this is really God... Uh, his, cha- his chastening, his judgment, actually, against those people groups. And so Israel was just his means to do it. And we see that all throughout history, that sometimes even God would use ungodly nations to chasten his own people. We see that in the Assyrians in their captivity, or uh, Israel in their captivity going to Assyria. And we also see that in the Babylonians when they came against the children of Israel and, and brought them captive to Babylon. So God can use his own people to um, chasten other nations, and he also uses those other nations to chasten his own people when they've continued in their rebellion. And so that's what we see in the Bible. That's what we see in uh, certainly the book of Joshua, and we see it in the book of Judges and all throughout Kings. And so this evening we're going to be picking up in in chapter 4. Last uh, couple of weeks we looked at Othniel, who was... Uh, the first judge, if you will, of, uh, of, the, of the time of the judges. And uh, God had sold the children of Israel into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim. He was the king of Mesopotamia. And they served uh, the king of, uh, of Mesopotamia uh, for a time. And um, God was going to use Othniel, who was a descendant of of Caleb's uh, from the tribe of Judah, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he delivered, he gave uh, Othniel and those uh, members of Israel uh, victory over Cushan Rishathaim, and, and then after that the land had rest for 40 years, and, and then uh, Othniel, the, the son of Kenaz, he died, and then that's really the first season, if you will, or the first period. Throughout the book of Judges, we're going to see seven different periods 
of deliverances, of deliverers who would, who God would raise up to deliver the children of Israel from their enemies. And we looked at also at Ehud, who was the second judge, and his, his um, rule, if you will, uh, or his judging over the children of Israel, he, uh, that lasted the longest of, of all the judges that we have in this book, and his reign lasted, I shouldn't say reign, because he wasn't really a king at all, he was just someone who the Lord had raised up, and in fact, Ehud, uh, God raised up to come against the king of Moab, because uh, Moab and uh, had gathered Ammon and Amalek together to bring them, the children of Israel, into captivity in a sense, to put them under service. And the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. And so you remember that Ehud uh, came and was offering a tribute to the king of Moab, uh, Eglon. And the Bible says, and I love this, that he was a very fat man. There's no political correctness here at all. Uh, he came and, and he um, uh, approached the king in a private moment and wanted to whisper something that God had told him. And as he got close, he pulled out a dagger and he thrust it into Eglon's stomach, who was a very fat man. And uh, we won't get into all the details of that. Nonetheless, he died. And then uh, Ehud went and he gathered the, the men of Ephraim and, and they came down and they uh, took possession uh, again, of, of Moab, and they were no longer under the uh, judgment, if you will, or under the uh, servitude of the king of Moab any longer. And so now we get into chapter 4, and this is a, a wonderful couple of chapters. We have to look at both of them because it speaks of Deborah, and, and Deborah was a wonderful woman, and in fact, um, you know, her name actually means bumblebee. Uh, which I think is very interesting. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this third period, third of seven different periods. And this third period really encompasses chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 5 is really nothing more than a song that Deborah uh, sang along with Barak uh, for their victory uh, over their enemies. And so we're going to look at uh, those two chapters. And so let's look at chapter 4, and let's, let's just read through uh, chapter 4, and then we'll go back and look at it, because I don't want to lose the context. It says that when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hegoyim, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go up with me, then I will go. But if you will not go up with me, I will not go. 
And so she said, I will surely go up with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenanite, or the Kenite, I'm sorry, of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Terebinth tree at Zaanaim, which is beside Kedesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harasheth Hegoyim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hegoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened up a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Then Jael, Haber's wife, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and thus created a Home Depot commercial. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) She drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. And when, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So a very interesting uh, event in the life of Israel. And so let's go back to verse 1 here. It says that when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, and it's interesting that there is a tendency when there is a reprieve in trial or or a difficulty or even when there's a reprieve in judgment for people to revert back to their own wicked ways. And we see it within our own lives. And perhaps you can relate to a time when God was chastening you or you got into some trouble and then after the punishment had been meted out and you've you, you paid the price or whatever it was and maybe you realize, hey, this wasn't so bad. Um... And then as time goes on, you find yourself flirting with that same thing again. And, and yet God, in His mercy, you know, He doesn't pour out His wrath. He, 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 he gives you these opportunities to repent. And, and it's sort of the way God was with Israel. 
He didn't appreciate and certainly didn't approve of anything they were doing. But because there was a reprieve, uh, they started to get comfortable again. They started to get back into the things that they had formerly done. And unfortunately, this seems to be the pattern that Israel went through during the time of Judges and even beyond during the time of the kings before their captivity. And it's unfortunate that the flesh always seeks how far it can go before it gets busted. Before it gets busted. It's true, isn't it? We always try to uh, see how far we can go. How far to the edge can I go? And, and that's the way Israel had lived. They, 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 they get delivered from an enemy, and the next thing you know, they get comfortable. And, and, and again, there's many years of rest that they have. And can you imagine 40 years or even 80 years, as it was in the, in the time of Ehud, uh, 80 years of rest. And think, most of us aren't even 80 years old. And to have that length of time for there to be rest in the land of Israel, there's plenty of time for people to kind of get comfortable again and to get back into their old habits. And old habits start creeping up. And before long, they're returning to those old graves. And they're, they're digging up the old stuff again. And they're allowing their hearts and their minds to be impure once again. But see, the thing is, is just as God is going to reveal to us through the children of Israel all throughout this book, we need to pay attention to because God, He takes sin seriously. He takes sin seriously. Let me read something to you out of Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. If you recall, it's Matthew 12, verse 43. Now, obviously, this is speaking about someone who is demon-possessed, but I think you can understand what is happening here in this few verses. It says, When an unclean spirit, and Jesus is speaking here, to his disciples, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty and he finds it swept and he finds it put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And so shall it be also with this wicked generation. That's what Jesus was speaking of. And the idea is that when somebody is delivered, if their heart is not in true repentance, what what can happen is that they get comfortable again, and then they, as time goes on, they forget the, the, the remorse of their sin. They forget the, the, the the consequence of the sin. Maybe they look back and think, well, that really wasn't so bad. I could go through that again. And maybe this time I won't get caught. And God says over and over in the Bible, but there's a verse that really haunts me, and it's a, it's a good one for it to haunt all of us, and that is, be, be sure that your sin will find you out. There, there's always a way, no matter how many years go by, if we haven't repented and we continue, God has a way of exposing us, and He will expose us publicly if He has to. He doesn't want to do that. I think God wants to minister to us privately, and personally, so that we don't have to go through what we see, some even pastors uh, going through horrible things publicly and churches dissolving and people's hearts being crushed. And it's a horrible thing. And so we need to pray for the pastors. I'd appreciate your prayer for me uh, uh, and pray for all the pastors in Calvary chapels and even the, the, the churches down the street here. Pray for all those men. That, that God would keep them the way He wants them. He wants to be, them to be like a firebrand in His hand. And I want to be that way too. I want to be someone that God can pour Himself into and I would be empty as much as possible. 
And so uh, I think you can understand that. And that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. So let's go on to verse 2. It says, So the Lord sold them, he sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth Hegoyim. Now, this Jabin, king of Canaan, this may actually be more of a title than it is an actual name. His name probably wasn't Jabin. It was probably something else. But just like we saw with Caesars, the Caesars, the Herods, and the Xerxes in the Medes and the Persians, these, these names were really titles more than physical names. And so this land of Hazor, which Jabin was the king of, is, is about eight and a half miles north of the Sea of Galilee. When we were there a few weeks ago, we had an opportunity to drive right by Hazor. And Hazor is actually a tell. A tell is a, it looks like a hill. And you, you see these in Israel as you're driving. You see these tells uh, everywhere. They're, they're, they're in many places. And you, you can see uh, Hazor is there and it's a it's a civilization that's been built on another city and it, and, it, and as it gets destroyed it, it just keeps getting built upon and so a tell is is like a city that's been built upon a city that's been built upon a city built upon a city and uh Jericho was a good example of that Jer- Jericho was a, a tell and and so was uh Hazor and other places as well and so when it says in verse 3, The children of Israel, they cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. 20 years kept them in submission, and certainly having 900 chariots of iron, uh, that's something that the children of Israel just could not compete with. God forbid them to have horses, to have these big armies with horses, and he certainly forbid them to have chariots. Because had they had these things, they would have boasted in their military prowess and, and God would have not received the glory. Because you know that many of the battles in the Bible, God used and did a lot with very, very little. In fact, we'll see in a few weeks in the, in the life of Gideon how he had a very large army and God had to whittle it down to just a couple hundred guys against an enemy that was very formidable in the thousands And so God doesn't need a lot to accomplish a lot. He can use a few. And you know, I I long to see the Lord do that even more uh, because God doesn't need big things. He doesn't need big things. He can do great things with very insignificant people, people that that don't see themselves as, as something that great. He always delights to use the the underdog he likes to use the person who doesn't have any confidence of their flesh he he loves to use people like that and notice that the children of Israel cried they cried and their cries were uh, were not that God would forgive their sins notice the difference here because they cried why did they cry because of the nine hundred chariots and the oppression but do you see in that verse any desire to be delivered of their own sin and to be forgiven. There really isn't. And this is really what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, and worldly sorrow is just mad and upset because I got caught, and or mad or upset because I'm going through the consequence of what I've done wrong, but there's no change of heart, and that is the difference. When a person gets busted and it truly changes their life, um, it is a, a godly sorrow. 
more often than not, especially if you're a Christian and you get busted. Your your heart is broken, you're, you're, you're sick of your sin, and you're like, God, I am totally done with this. I'm so sick of it, and you're sick of it, and now I am really, really, really sick of it. Have you gotten to that place before where you're really sick of your sin? We have to come to that place. Otherwise, chances are we'll never turn from whatever it is, right? And so... In Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.